Hello and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 165. I am your host, Mike Epps, aka Wheels, and with me as always... Craterface Understudy, David McBurney, Fanboy Master. Uh, and Gaijin was not available this week, he was unsure of his schedule. Uh, and uh, I think it goes without saying that it's been a weird uh, few weeks yeah. at this point. Uh... And a few months, entire year, last several centuries, really. Yes, it, it's <laughs> it's not been a it's not been a good year, and obviously with all these protests going on, um, we really wanted to say something because um, I think we feel pretty strongly about this. That you know, fuck racism. Yeah, we should it's, really uh, sort of speak up and not uh, <laughs> let it go. Um, yeah, it, it's it's easy, I think for people to, you know, go on with their lives and not realize that racism is still a major problem in in this country and definitely around the world. Uh, and I, this pandemic, I think, kind of highlighted it for uh, a lot of people. And, you know, when it's kind of exploded be- because of recent events. So, yeah. Yeah, we just kind of wanted to take this chance to make it clear that we, uh, like, we're a podcast that's normally done by, like, three white guys, and that's, there's a lot of chance to just sort of assume some maybe, (laughs) maybe regrettable politics, uh, quite rightly, so we just wanted to sort of say, uh, like we normally don't talk about politics because again three white guys and we're they're better people who have better things to say about this yeah but we don't want to sort of sound like we're supporting an unjust status quo by not saying anything so uh given the ongoing uh protests black lives matter uh george floyd's death and of course really the unjust deaths of many just wanted to take a chance uh, to say unequivocally that Black Lives Matter and urge you all to donate to... Well, Wheels has the details. Yeah, so uh, the, the places I went to donate... Don't, can't, can't talk. <laughs> uh, the places I went to donate were blacklivesmatter.com, uh, which is, does a lot of great work, so I definitely recommend donating there. And then... Uh, What's the other one? Um, Veilfunds.github.io, and this is not not a place to donate itself, but it'll li- link to a bunch of bail uh, projects uh, throughout the country, uh, state by state. And uh, it, this is kind of a great resource for a lot of different reasons. In addition to just you know you could donate some money to help out protesters who may be dealing with bail and whatnot. Um, but these are things that do a lot of great work to begin with and could really use your support. And uh, definitely a good time to check them out. And I definitely, obviously, I'm sure lots of people are going to donate now. Uh, if anyone out there can, like, do donate, like, on a monthly basis, I highly recommend you do it because, you know, at, at some point, you know, the protests are going to die down, but 
the work is going to have to go on and um you know sometimes giving a little bit over a long period of time will do better than just giving a little, a little bit of I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's, it's important to have an ongoing fund because a lot of these places will experience a lot of money exactly. in like one huge, you know, as these continue to be in the news. But as the news starts trying to cover other things, they're going to need all the help that they can get. Yeah. And it's obviously we live in a pretty busy world. It's easy to forget about things. So uh, I've, I've found that setting up a monthly donation uh, it, it definitely is a good thing. Mm. So I'm going to be doing that myself. Um, but yeah, anyone that can give, give if you can. If you can go out there with all the people that are going out there, do that. Or just just be a voice at the very Spread least. Spread the word as best you can. Yes. And that's, you know, that, that can involve having difficult conversations with people who maybe don't really get it. And that can help too there's lots of ways to help just mm. just help please <laughs> uh, there's there's and if you don't think like all of this is making a difference it's already making i'm sure you've seen some things on the news it's already making a difference and the more we do the more we can hopefully move things along and keep the ball rolling exactly yeah, we we just wanted to make sure that uh, our position on this whole thing was not ambiguous. So. Yes. I, I mean, I can't really be out there. I would, I would love to to have gone out there to some of these protests, but I, I can't really do it with young children oh, kids. and <laughs> um, my wife is a nurse, so I can't really be getting arrested <laughs> protesting yeah, so. yeah. everyone has their own private reasons yes and you know i i personally would not be inclined to judge someone because i don't know what goes into those reasonings yeah. and i think that that's maybe something to keep in mind but i mean also on some level try to make it clear at the very least in your sphere where you stand yeah at the, yeah. Just you know, being silent is not going to help in this case. You know, mm. like, like Dave said, we don't really sh usually talk politics, and I think in this case, this is not politics in the slightest. Really, this is mm. this is beyond that. But even if you do consider it politics, there are some things that you can't just leave alone. Exactly. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, r systemic racism is definitely one of those things. Yeah. So, that's, uh, I guess that's what we have to say on this issue. <laughs> yes. Uh, full disclosure, this is our second attempt trying to find the right words. And yeah. hopefully we've done a good, good job. And, yeah. And if we haven't, uh, I mean... Please tell us where we can improve. Yes. <laughs> we're a bunch uh, of white dudes just trying trying to do the right thing and if we can do better, we are we are all all ears. Yeah. Feel free to tell us. Yeah, so there's uh there's that and maybe excuse the possibly harsh cut into previously recorded material. Yes. <laughs>
on to video games. So it's now time for a video game discussion. Yes. <laughs> Wheels, how do you feel about Xenoblade Chronicles? It's beautiful. I was uh, I was seeing so many impressions of it. It's like, well, it's not as good looking as I expected it to be. That I was still kind of taken aback when I actually looked at it. And I was like, this is what you guys were complaining about. What? What? I played it on 3DS, man. I played it on Wii, I played it on 3DS. This is by far the nicest, most consistently well-running version of it. Yeah. Uh, also, still a great game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've heard people mention that there's been some like quality of life improvements. I don't know them yet. Uh, because it's been forever since I played the 3DS and Wii version, and also because uh, I am just running around Colony 6 and doing as many... Not Colony 6, Colony 9, and doing as many quests as possible. The one I did notice is the whole thing where it gives like a little icon for like backstab and abilities like that when they will actually activate. When they will actually damage. trigger. Yes. Which yeah, nice. that was always a fun ambiguity in the original version. Yeah. Am I behind it as far as the game thinks? <laughs> and the answer is... Uh... Maybe? Uh. <laughs> but yeah, now you get like a little blue indicator that makes it clear that like, the bonus... Whatever bonus that this attack does will proc. Which, uh, you know... Nice. An improvement. Uh, otherwise, uh, I got 100,000 gold for or whatever the currency is in that. I don't remember. <laughs> for having a Xenoblade 2 save file. Nice. I don't remember hearing anyone mention that pre-release. I, I'm kind of surprised in retrospect. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's Xenoblade. It's a much prettier Xenoblade. I've seen some people that don't like the art style, but all I can say is that, like, man, whatever art they were going for in terms of how the characters looked in the original always had the same issue I have with FF12, where I think it's trying to imitate a brush stroke aesthetic, but what it ends up looking like is everyone's a horrible skeleton monster. <laughs> so, no skeleton monsters in this version. Oh. That's your own barrel. I love it. But yeah, I've, I've been enjoying... It's still a very relaxing game to do quests in, because it has a very relaxing uh, soundtrack when you're just wandering through the fields. It does, yes. That was one of the few games I've ever had where, like, I... Uh, like, someone passing by... Or, like, someone in the next room was hearing the music and just came in to comment, like, this is really pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Still uh, as Xenoblady as ever. Yep. So, sadly, only so much I can say about that. Have you? Uh, what have you been playing, Wheels? Uh, I grabbed the Borderlands collection for Switch. Uh, ah, gross. I, but I've heard it's a good port. Uh, yes. Well. Yes. But <laughs> so, when I fired it up, I'm like, I'm gonna try the one not made by. Gearbox, because I was like... I, made the pre-sequel again? What's that? Who uh, made that game's pre-sequel? 2K... 
Australia or something. Moran, maybe? Some some studio in Australia. So there's a lot of Australian accents, which automatically makes it awesome. That uh, makes sense. Yeah, it's just 2K Australia. Uh, but so far it's been real, really cool. Like, one of the cool things about it is, obviously, it's on the moon of Pandora, and, which means lower gravity, which is fun. Um, you also have, like, an O2 meter you have to pay attention to, which mm-hmm. I'm guessing most people are probably kind of annoyed with, but I think it's kind of a cool addition because you actually have to, like, pay attention to to where you are and where you're wandering to get to like the spots where you can refill your oxygen. Also, you can play as everyone's favorite claptrap. Yeah, but don't do that. <laughs> if you don't play as him, you might see him less in the overall game. <laughs> win win. The other characters you can pick from are pretty cool. Like um I forget the name of my character, but I picked like a gunslinger girl and her ability is like kind of slows down time and auto-aims for a bit. Mm-hmm. So, so you, especially on Switch, where aiming isn't necessarily the greatest. Does that one have uh, gyro-aiming or no? Uh, not sure. I haven't checked. I know some of the games... So 2K went nuts and has ported like four games to the Switch in the span of a week, because we've got... Uh, they did XCOM 2. They did Bioshock, they did Borderlands, and they did, uh, and Outer Worlds, which comes out tomorrow as of this recording. All at once. They I did don't Outer know Worlds? Why. And some of them have gyro aiming and some of them don't. Is Private Division 2K? Private Division is, I believe, a subsidiary of 2K okay. in some fashion. Okay. I couldn't, I knew they were a subsidiary of someone, I couldn't remember who. Let me work this out, because I want to make sure that I'm not just, uh, spitting lies. Private Division is Take-Two Interactive's third publishing label following Rockstar and 2K. (laughs) I always forget the family tree there. Like, I know Take-Two owns Rockstar, but I always forget that, like, 2K is technically a separate label. And they're kind of different, kind of not. It's a weird collection of companies. Yeah, I don't... I really don't don't get what they were going for. But, I mean, like, I, I like the mission statement behind two, uh, behind Private Division, so I hope that keeps being a thing. But. Uh, oh, the other thing I was going to say is there's uh, obviously a lot of people complaining that these games are, like, not on full carts, which we could have lots of discussions about. But the way, like, these collections of games work... Mm, mm, it would be very hard to do. Because hmm. right now, as far as I know, the, the max size cart is 32 gigs. Yeah. And for the Borderlands collection... Um, I think that would literally be impossible to fit in 32 gigs without yes. making huge compromises to it. And not only that, it's like, okay, this is three games, and they actually show up as three separate games. And... Do you want to buy? So you, their choice cards, would have ended so up be being selling expensive. three separate releases. Or yeah. I don't want to play Borderlands One in Year of Our Lord 2020. Yeah, it's not great. To be fair, I'm and not the audience for any yeah, of them. That's so. that's the only one actually on the cart. The others are a download code. 
So. Oh man, that reminds me of like Capcom doing the Resident Evil Origins collection, which yeah. gave you a cart that had Resident Evil Zero on it and Resident Evil One as a download code, which is just like, really? Yeah, <laughs> that's the one you think that I'm gonna want permanently? <laughs> uh... Yeah, I wouldn't have put one on there, but you know, I, I don't really know how you do this. I mean, I would have yeah, bought it the if they released it. Like the the other option would have been wait like another six months to a year to for the because they are in the process of rolling out a sixty four gigabyte cartridge. But would they even want to pay for that to begin with? So. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, for the other for the other games, you have more of an argument. Like XCOM two is, I think it's on an eight gigabyte cart. And it's got the 22 gigabyte download or something. Yeah, that's them just cheap. You've got an ar- um, argument there, especially if um, private division least... is theirs, and they're releasing <laughs> Outer Worlds on a big cart. They're releasing Outer Worlds on a big cart. They initially threatened that that game was going to be a box with a download code in it, and then it got delayed, and suddenly it was a game, uh, the entire game on one card. Yeah. So. And I, I, I'm not sure about the Bioshock collection. I thought I read that that was like. I think that's like one and two on a cart or something. I think it's like bits of all three, and then oh downloads. yeah, that's it. That's the that that compromise is insane. Yeah, so you've got um, like a bunch of different approaches for these three three releases. Yeah, it's like it's strange. like they, you would think they, given that all of the, three of these came out on the same day, you would think that they would at least have a unified approach on how they were doing. You think so, but uh, it's weird. One point I will give XCOM 2, though, is that at least they didn't skimp out on it. Like, it is XCOM 2 and it's the expansion pack, War of the Chosen, or whatever it's called. Like, all of these are very fully featured. So I can't be, like, too upset. It's like, oh, they screwed us. Like, they gave you all of it at once. So that's something. Uh... I mean... So far, they all seem to be fantastic ports, so there's no complaints there. Um, yeah, I've been playing some good Switch ports recently. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, you can get a pretty hefty SD card relatively on the cheap. Like I just grabbed a 512 gigabyte one on sale for 80 bucks. I think uh, the thing I just saw was on Nintendo's official site. They're hawking that if you buy download codes for like a game or two from Best Buy, they will send you a 128 gigabyte SD card for free. That's pretty good. I'm sure that like the bigger issue people have is like, well, I want to have this cart for the whole game forever. And I understand that, but at the same time, I can, for at least a few of these, they have a decent excuse. Yeah. I was impressed... Oh, yeah, I was just gonna say, if, I mean, if you are like all about having copies of these games forever, you could get them on another platform. Yeah, <laughs> on a nice that's, that's Blu-ray disc. Granted, that's not always gonna be the case either. But yeah. I mean, like, the, that's always the problem with these. Is like, you say, like, well, I want to have it forever, and it's like, well, a lot of these get patches anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like you're you're kind of hosed any which way you look at it. Speaking of good Switch ports, I was playing Saints Row 4. That's a really good port. That's a really good port, especially given that Saints Row the Third was not a good port. Uh, it got better. 
it did get better. It did get better. Yeah. It's it's weird because I noticed a pattern because Assassin's Creed did the exact same thing where they released a not very good port, slowly patched it, and then they released a much better port of the better game that followed it. Yeah. Very strange. <laughs> but yeah, and I was surprised that just has all of the DLC from Saints Row 4 that I never played, uh, just all on one cart. So. Yeah. Good on them. THQ. THQ, good, when they're not Masters making of some of the most disastrous PR moves I've ever seen. Have they done anything recently? Not in the last year. Okay, that's good. Hopefully whoever did that got fired. Um, Other than... Um, uh, naming things badly. And just announcing that they're bringing out a fresh release of the Kurt Schilling masterpiece. Uh, Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning? Yes. One, that name is terrible. And also, yes, Kurt Schilling had absolutely nothing to do with that game. He was oh, he doesn't. On, he was involved with the one that never came out. Yeah, well, it's also worth noting that even if he did, he wouldn't be getting any money from this. Like, yeah. he's long since divested of the IP. But, uh, yeah, that's a good game. Like, there's nothing wrong with that game. Like, it is a pretty good game. And I don't think we know what platforms it's for because it just leaked is the problem. Yeah. And we, I There's think no we... reason it shouldn't come out on Switch, but the only one that I think they were willing to confirm based on the leaks was because it like, leaked on PSN, they confirmed the PS4 version. Yeah. I think it showed up on the Xbox store as well. Yeah, although I don't think they acknowledged that version. Yeah. So, But, I mean, they've been porting basically anything they possibly can to switch so yeah it's like there's I no reason that a kingdom of uh like that's i'm just saying that because that's the platform i'd want to play it on yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah like there's no reason that that shouldn't run on switch i'd so. like to see that happen because that would have been a a max storm favorite for sure oh he, man he's a big fan of that game it's a shame that uh he missed some of the real renaissance of team handheld yeah it's true uh, yeah, so Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning. Are you going to buy that along with uh, SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated? Yes. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was joking at that point. That, that look, actually looks good, and the kids will probably enjoy it. Well, there's like a rabid like fandom composed of Zoomers for that game that is like obsessed with it. So. Huh. Like, that one in particular. It's not like they just love all the Spongebob games. It's like, no, that one in particular is the one they love. Is it like the Mario 64 of licensed games or something? That's kind of the way they look at it. Like, it's really beloved as in terms of those... Like, it, it is a... I have played some of it. It is a, it is a very well-put-together 3D platformer. Cool. Some of the original, I should say, so... And this, to be fair to them, that remaster is fixing my biggest problem that I had when I played it, which is the color palette in the original is ugly. <laughs> it's very weirdly dark. I don't know what they were, what they were doing, but like the remaster at least seems to have fixed that. It's much brighter. It looks a lot more like the cartoon I remember seeing. <laughs> but, yeah. So THQ Nordic is uh, just. I don't know where their money comes from. I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> They're what, everywhere. What, what country are they located in again? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't even ambiguous. know. Ambiguous? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, Nordic, I guess, suggests somewhere. It suggests a place, but that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I, oh my god. Okay. THQ Nordic is an Austrian video game company. Am I giving money to the Austrian mob? Is there an Austrian mob? There probably is one. I doubt it's the Austrian mob. It's not really... <laughs> <laughs> not, if this is not as cut and dry as like, oh no, the Gizmondo was absolutely funded by the Swedish mob. <laughs> Man, I've, I will never stop being amused by the Gizmondo. The Swedish mob just, I don't know, I'm sorry Sweden, but that... That sounds ridiculous, but yes. yeah. It's apparently called the Uppsala mob, and... Uh, again, I'm never just, forget the. I'm just the... picturing the Swedish chef in like a a business suit. I, I would so watch I'm... that Muppet spinoff. <laughs> I feel like if the Muppet Show had just continued unabated forever, we would have seen like essentially sketches that were parodying stuff like The Sopranos, and that absolutely would have seemed yeah. like something would have happened where you just have the Swedish chef in like a Sopranos scene. Man, why haven't we gotten a new Muppet Show? I think they just announced some new Muppet thing, but Disney's in this very weird position where, like, every few years someone's like, pitches some Muppet thing that's allowed to happen, and then that thing tanks, and then Disney, like, sits on it for five years. Yeah, there was that show on ABC, which was weird. It was... I can see where they were going with it. It didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there's a new Muppet show that's supposed to hit their Disney Plus soon. Apparently called Muppets Now. Concerning. Uh, sorry, this is very important to me. There hasn't yet been a Muppet RPG, but there should be. Yes, uh, yes, please. Uh, okay, first original series for Disney Plus will be called Muppets Now. Kicking off with a first episode, a uh, first season of six episodes. And it's at least kind of doing a Muppet show-like concept, because it's about the Muppets trying to do a streaming show. <laughs> but it really becomes a question of how much do they focus on the background of that and how much do they focus on the foreground. Because, like, I feel like the thing that they keep trying to do is, doing, is putting it on the background, whereas the Muppet show is always, like, there was a vaudeville show happening, and occasionally you see behind the scenes that everything is going wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I would hope that they know to emphasize, like, the show that's happening occasionally leavened by the insanity of the behind-the-scenes. <sighs> Let's hope. In conclusion, make a Muppet RPG. Yes, please. Uh, who is DPS in the Muppet RPG? Um, animal. Sure, that's fine. But uh, uh, who is the most important member of uh, Doctor Teeth in the Electric Mayhem? I don't remember who the members are. <laughs> I was expecting you to follow up the joke by just saying animal again. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. 
<laughs> Why don't you just admit that I had no idea the names of any of the, the other members? Gonna, well, I, one of them's Dr. Teeth. I'm just going to put that out there. It's a good name. It's a very good name. But, yeah. Um... For anyone not watching at home, I'm currently struggling to beat a boss in this children's Diablo clone. This Minecraft dungeon. Also, Minecraft knows that you can make a children's game hard by virtue of the fact that everything in it is a Byzantine nonsense mess. It's true, yes. And this is kind of how I became fascinated by Minecraft. It's like, oh, my child wants to play Minecraft. Let me figure this out. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ, what is this? Why do I need an entire encyclopedia to play this game? Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, there's another dim else. dimension you can go to. Oh, you can use the other dimension as fast travel between the world because it's a smaller... It's smaller than it's the main world. It's hyperspace, really. Yes. <laughs> I was gonna say, I think my favorite thing I've ever understood about Minecraft is just that, like, you're not. The game has eventually developed like a campaign. Not that I think many people play it, but it does have one. And the end of that campaign, like the last realm in that campaign, you're not allowed to rest. And if you try to uh, use a bed, it explodes. Oh yes, this happens in the Nether too. Yeah, I guess it's just in the nether, but, like, basically, the the speedrun strat for killing the last boss is to explode a bed with it. <laughs> I could see that. Which is Amazing. A, a cute thing to exist. Let's see, I did want to talk a bit about the other games I've been playing before we get to the questions kindly provided by Budai. Uh, uh, as, as was clear from my entrance to this podcast i've been playing wild arms 2 again nice and uh every time i play it i become more and more enchanted by liz and ard the uh lizard man sub bosses that just sort of wander through the story being in english essentially just completely incomprehensible <laughs> like I've heard claims I've never verified that like they're more that Liz is supposed to be speaking poetically and that most of his dialogue just sort of got translated directly in a way that just makes him baffling. <laughs> I'm sure that he's supposed to be funny either way, but like it's possible that he's supposed to be poetically funny in Japanese whereas in English he's just absurdist. But uh I, I was just destroyed when I got to the point where he started shouting, prepare for word torture, I can't keep quiet, I'm full of dangerous phrases that should be censored. <laughs> and then follows that up with the statement, uh, I sent this to you, I need to double check it, because I, I can't, I have to repeat it exactly as it was written. Oh boy. Uh, I'll throw off the gentleman disguise. The era of the intellectual gangster is over. <laughs> <laughs> That's followed up by you do you fight them, Lizard are these these two lizard men whose names <laughs> combine to form lizard. <laughs> you fight them, and then one of them starts like Liz starts rambling about how they uh, like some sort of experiment turned them into this form, uh, and that's why they're lizard men. And 
Ashley, the head of your party, just sort of like stops uh, fighting just long enough to ask, sort of like, "Is that is that did that really happen?" And he's like, "No, of course not. That'd be stupid. We've we've all we were we've been lizard men since the day we were born." And then comments that because of that and the fact that he is only wearing a cape and nothing else, he's technically running around naked. And then he leaves. Nice. Liz and Art are incredible. Uh, they are a wonderful highlight in a game that is hard to f- 100% recommend, but is very different. So, that's fun. Sweet. Was I going to say, oh, I've, I've gotten a bit farther in Final Fantasy VII Remake, and was overjoyed to find out that a certain character was not dead, as I expected. Oh, yeah, yeah. How far are you into that? What chapter? It's either 13 or 14 now. Ah, uh, you've got longer to go than you think. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Chapter 14 is kind of the side quest wrap-up chapter, I think. Shouldn't, shouldn't I be sieging Shinra shortly? Yeah. That's just a really long section. Yeah, sweet. Like, the Shinra Siege is probably at least another five, seven hours by itself. Sweet. So, uh, get used to that. Yeah, so there's, uh... There's your... In conclusion, Wild Arms 2. It's a weird game. It's a weird, weird game. Sweet. I need to get around to it at some point. Did you ever play any of it, or...? Nope. Hmm. Well, you're going to learn a lot about my tastes when you finally (laughs) play it. (laughs) But, yeah. Very strange. Uh, It's... It's an interesting contrast to Wild Arms 1, because when I was playing Wild Arms 1, all I could think was... This game should talk more because it does not. It just sort of like lets you draw your own conclusions about why anyone's doing anything. <laughs> and then Wild Arms 2 is like everyone is going to say everything that they're thinking. Oh dear. And I like it because I think that what they're thinking is generally at least interesting, but it is a sharp contrast. <laughs> Also, when I finished uh, Wild Arms 1, I uh, can safely say that, like, they do sort of do an a the adventure continues ending, but there's no, like, major conflict that's been left unresolved. So, I will put the lie to your odd, your weird old memories. <laughs> so, it's, it's... Are you talking about Wild Arms 1? Wild Arms 1, yeah. Yeah, okay. But, yeah. So... Uh, maybe Rudy Roughknight, Jack Vambrace, and Cecilia Edelhide had more adventures. In fact, they definitely did, because Cecilia just literally abandons the throne to go on adventures, but uh, they don't necessarily involve saving the world. Okay. Yeah, Wild Arms 2 kind of takes its writing cues from the weird, peculiar melancholy that Wild Arms 1 has when a giant golem gets killed. And the game is just very contemplative and sad about that fact. <laughs> so, in conclusion, you know, full of dangerous phrases that ought to be censored. 
uh, games that we have played, probably. We also played a lot of Minecraft, an unhealthy amount. Yep. And have you you played FF7? You played Minecraft Dungeons? You played anything else? (laughs) Minecraft, most most of which this week was. uh, Let's see, we so we wanted to find a jungle, which you think would be easy. Not. Oh, it depends upon your seed, I would imagine. Yes. Well, there's a tool online you can find to see where a jungle was. So it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's like, oh, okay, here's a jungle. It's only about um, 8,000 squares from where we are. So, went on That's, lo- that's going to be a journey. Yes, it was a long journey. Eventually got there. And then I'm like, oh, we'll just use the nether to build a shortcut back. And it's like, oh, we this spawned us in the most dangerous area than nether imaginable. Oh, good. So I spent a lot of time digging a long covered tunnel all the way back to our old places. Just ridiculous, but it is complete. <laughs> My now you're a weird game. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what, I feel like there's something else I've been playing this week, too. Aside from Hearthstone? Yeah, well, and Overwatch. Your usual Blizzard addictions. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, think that's the I haven't really dug into the next uh, Atelier Dusk game quite yet, because it gets off to a bit of a slow start. You aren't ready for eschatology? Not quite. Well, it, once I get into the meat of the game, I think it'll just go along, because it's another one of those with a time limit, so you, it's it keeps you busy. Yeah. Don't screw it up, Wheels. Don't screw it up. I won't say that. That's rude. <laughs> no, it's fine. It, it happened in the last game, and I had to re- restart was interesting. Uh, Alright, should we do the questions? Uh, yeah, probably. We probably should do that. So, good old Budai, when I sent the question call out like 15 minutes before we started recording, uh, jumped to the rescue and gave us a handful of questions that we can chew on. Uh, First of which was, do you feel the wave of RPGs, aka Blue Dragon, Lost Odyssey, and Tales of Vesperia, had any impact for the 360 in the USA? Was it purely Microsoft's attempt at Japan, or was there more? I think in Microsoft's eyes, it was strictly for Japan. Yeah. That said, I do think that it actually helped them more than they probably would have thought in the US, because it broadened the idea of what the Xbox brand was for. Yeah. <laughs> Because, like, that first uh, Xbox really cemented them as the first-person shooter mans. (laughs) And, like, there were a lot of great things on there that weren't first-person shooters. Granted, not a lot of them were from Japan, but there were a lot of them. But at the same time, you just... It it wasn't a thing that you thought of playing other things on. (laughs) 
interesting. Uh, I, I think that it was a well positioned given the 360's like necessary move to uh, try to take a huge like to to act more like a console with a broad appeal rather than a specific audience. Yeah, and if, if you remember, Rudai, there were some other RPGs in addition to that that were... You love Enchanted at Arms. At least... Oh, not Enchanted Arms, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there were some other ones that not necessarily great that were either on 360 first or on 360 also, like uh, Resonance of Fate... Uh, I think Buddha is asking specifically about there was a period where Microsoft was paying to get games on yeah, to get yeah. these RPGs on 360. So I, I wouldn't just, say those are necessarily forgotten, but yeah. I just mean yeah, it paid off in that more. It, it made them seem like something. a safer place for yeah. Japanese development. Because I mean, like the the 360, not the 360, the original Xboxes, Japanese support is some of the strangest games I've ever seen. <laughs> and they're all from companies like Nude Maker. Weren't there like some shmups on... on oh, 360 was a haven for shmups and uh, visual novels for some reason. Weird. I don't know. I'm sure there's like a very specific reason as to why that happened. But I don't know enough. I can only assume... The thing I would assume is that Microsoft of Japan was less stringent about content, uh, less stringent about what kind, like what game kind of games they were approving, and possibly were charging a lower licensing fee. Because especially at that period, Sony was very heavy into the prestige of the PlayStation brand. Mm. And so they were very they like I associate this more with SCEA, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it existed to some extent on the company at large. But I mean, like this, the games that they allowed on the platform tended to not be these really hyper niche things, which seems ridiculous given that we're talking about a company that did uh, Kuma Uta. Just, and I don't think anyone ever identified the audience that that was meant to serve. For those who do not recall, I've talked about Kuma Uta in the past. It is a Japanese uh, PS2 game whose title literally means bear song. And it's a game about training a polar bear to be a Japanese folk singer. What? <laughs> Kuma Uta is one of the most terrifying things. Like, I describe that, and you kind of get an image in your head of what it is, and then you actually see it, and it's ten times more terrifying than you could have ever oh, imagined. Because it's just a, a... Like, a polar bear badly animating in front of, like, a karaoke background while singing in, like, the most robotic voice imaginable. <laughs> there's, there's just a lot... It's it's there's a lot going on in that concept and it's a nightmare. Wow. I've I've said this before. I probably say this at least once every ten episodes, but if you have not, go put Kuma Uta into YouTube and have your life transformed. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm gonna have to send it to Wheels again so that he can relive the nightmare. Oh man, Kumota. But yeah, like uh, I, I think that the thing that this initiative did for North America is that the audience who liked JRPGs, the console RPG audience as it existed at that time, because remember in 2006, like Western RPGs on consoles were picking up steam, but they still weren't like they wouldn't kind of break into the absolute mainstream until like Oblivion, Oblivion kind of started it and Mass Effect kind of cemented it as like a really popular uh, take on the genre uh, in terms of things that you played on consoles rather than just things that existed on PCs. Like KOTOR was popular on Xbox, but it was limited out by the fact that the Xbox sold 22 million units. No, wait, it was 24 million units. GameCube sold 22 million units. But yeah, like it was like there was only so popular it could be. Same with like Morrowind, which was like a very like sold well throughout the Xbox's lifespan. But I mean, there was yeah. only so much. Uh, like there, it was a cult success as far as consoles were concerned. A uh, brief aside on that: what always yeah. amazes me when I look at GameCube sales is how many copies of Smash Brothers. It's like a. Sold. It's like a for every. Uh, for every GameCube sold, like sixty percent of the time, there would be a Smash Brothers Melee copy yeah, to go with it. It's crazy. The attach rate is frankly absurd. I remember, like, there was a period in like 2016 or so where I was looking at it, and like, I don't think any of us is capable of processing how many uh, copies Grand Theft Auto V has sold. But there was a period where it was like for every PS4 or Xbox One sold, there would be a copy of Grand Theft Auto V going with it. Why is this bear dressed like a blues brother? Sorry, you you have to be made aware of this. some reason I'm picking picturing the the band Blues Traveler except their lead singer is just a polar bear. Again, I said a Blues Brother. Yes, I know. It's for some reason it made me think Blues Traveler. It's fine. But yeah, like you look at this video game, please audience, I beg of you go look up Kubota because you look at it and it looks like a fever dream. This guy's put together a song in here and there's just like a wash bin floating through the background. <laughs> Oh, I get it. There's a washman floating through the background because this is, for some reason, being sung in a laundromat. (laughs) What? What? So, like, that's one of those situations where, like, something suddenly makes sense, and then, like, the second you divine why it made sense to you, you wonder, like, it makes even less sense now. (laughs) What? I hope Wheels is looking at it right now, because... No, I can't. I can't pause my dungeoning. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, 
In conclusion, the way that Microsoft can capture the Japan audience is to, is to make a knockoff of Kuma Uta. Oh, God. Where did you send this link? Oh, you... I just dropped it in your Discord. DMs. Oh, God. <laughs> I looked at a different video and YouTube's algorithm's gotten very confused and is trying to recommend like a million Berenstein Bears videos as follow-up. I, I, I can't watch anymore. <laughs> you coward. <laughs> I don't understand. This is like how you played like 10 minutes of Katamari Damashi and were too scared to continue. <laughs> I did not understand. That game's incredible. Go listen to the soundtrack again. Let's see. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think that broadening the profile of what counted as an Xbox game was actually a very worthy endeavor for the North American market. Yeah, it's, it, I guess it's hard to forget, or easy to forget now, but at some point, the Xbox 360 was king of the mountain. Yeah, no. Like I'm always weirded out when I talk about when I hear people talking about the PS3 winning that competition because it wins it by a couple million units, but it took a very long time to reach there. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the war of attrition, basically. Yeah, it doesn't some, help. That... Somehow managed to, to survive the whole hacking debacle. And that PSN, uh, which hacking debacle are you talking about? Because we could be talking about several. The one where PSN went down for a very long time. It went down for like a month. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like a month. I think it was probably only a week or so. But No, it, it was a long time. I don't remember yeah, it exactly was down... how long, but it was pretty long. Yeah, it's one of those things that somehow has gotten memory hold. <laughs> like, how? That went down for like a month. A bunch of people's credit cards got... Uh... Compromised in that. It was uh, like, oh, we didn't up, we didn't upgrade our Tomcat servers t to a version that didn't have a horrible security hole. That's also like I think that was also the period where they discovered that PSN like uses HTTP GET at the time. At oh. least it did at the time <laughs> to transfer like user data. <laughs> For those who don't know, literally Web Engineering 101, uh, HTTP GET is when you just send the entire, like all the information you have completely unencrypted across from point to point and just assume that no one can see it. You only do that with information that is so trivial that it doesn't matter if anyone sees it. Yeah. Like the <sighs> idea of... The idea of, like, doing anything as important as, like, a credit, any sort of credit card information through HTTP GET is so profoundly irresponsible that I have, I, I can barely process it. <laughs> uh, it was bad. I don't know how they did that. Remember that time that, like, the PS3, like, wouldn't play single player games because of a New Year's bug? A leap year bug, I should say. I don't remember that one. There was a day, there was a one day period where it just like wouldn't play anything because uh, it didn't leap year properly. Oh, I think I remember that. Yeah. Like I, 
it's amazing how profoundly and like there's a degree to which I'm still very gun shy about essentially anything Sony does. And I think that comes through a lot when I talk on this podcast, but it's because like there was a period where Sony would find a new way to completely dismantle consumer trust. And that lasted for like five years. So I'm still pretty gun shy. And it's also the reason that I'm not at all nostalgic for the PS3. Yeah. And I, you've probably heard me complaining about it a lot in here, folks, because I don't like the PS4. It like, won I, it, the PS4 by doing nothing. Those, it did nothing. The, the PS4 is one of those things where it's just like, it It got through on a good first impression, and yeah. that was kind of enough. And it's not necessarily, like, it didn't do anything particularly wrong, but it's not, well, the UI is bad, but all the UIs were bad. Yeah. But it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know. I just wish they'd earn it a bit more, I guess. Uh, but man, but hey, Knack. Ugh. How do you feel about Knack? I never played it. I played a store demo and it was just awful. It looks pretty bad. <laughs> it, it's very pretty. Uh its aesthetic is kind of cloyingly I really wish I was a Pixar no, my my uh, PS4 launch purchase was um, Killzone Shadowfall yeah that sounds right I remember you talking about that yeah. being better than prior Killzone games for whatever no. that was worth well, uh, more than you think yeah yeah. I mean it wasn't the best first person shooter but it was like oh well, these guys have some ideas It was. it seemed to be the point where Guerrilla Games decided that their art direction needed to be more than gray. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, look at what came after that. <laughs> yeah. Their their art direction needed to be, I should I'm going to revise that slightly. Needed to be more than gray and I saw Gene Row Wolf Brigade once. <laughs> uh oh man. I wonder if anyone even remembers that controversy now. No. The were you aware of this at the time, Leo? No. So you remember Killzone's initial announcement uh, back in like 2004? Yeah. The immediate response was one, obviously they want this to be their Halo. It never really turned into that. It sold well, but it was never like the juggernaut that Halo was. But the other thing was that it, the Hellgas design looks a lot, a lot, little too close for comfort like the Gene Row Wolf B- Brigade soldiers uh, Gene Row Wolf B- Brigade was a uh, did that get theatrically released or was it an OVA? It was a thing by the director of the Ghost in the Shell movie uh, it was I don't think it, it's not adapted from anything it's just a movie that he made that's part of a broader set of things he has made that are all very strange hmm I once saw the it was origin the first film in that chronology is a live action film and it's one of the strangest things I've ever seen. <laughs> and it has one of my favorite uh, lines I've ever read in uh, frankly anything. Uh, so the the person I'm talking about uh, is uh, Masamune Shiro, who in America is probably most well known for the. Uh, Ghost in the Shell animated movie from 1995 Uh, but he's done 
basically everything at this point. Like, he has been involved in a lot of stuff. Uh, but, uh, Shiro, uh, no, wait, wait, I'm sorry, brain fart. Shiro is the one who made the manga Ghost in the Shell. Sorry, okay. sorry, sorry. Uh, the movie was Mamoru Oshii, who, again, has done basically everything at this point. <laughs> You can see why I was confused. Uh, but uh, Genero Wolf Brigade uh, was part of a thing loosely called the Kerberos Saga that consists of like dozens of movies and manga and radio dramas and anime. And <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, Okay, I think Gene Rowe got released to theaters, but yeah, it was an anime movie from 1999 that there's some suspiciously lifted iconography in Killzone. <laughs> but what really matters about the whole Kerberos saga is the first live-action film in it, the, origi- the originator of it all, The Red Spectacles, which has... is full of insane, insane ideas. <laughs> I think my personal favorites are there's like a guy who's like controlling the world via dine dashing what <laughs> and that there is also there's like this weird scene early on where like two dudes have a fight in a bathroom over a, a toilet stall or something and it's uh there's like a line i'm trying to remember how it was translated but it was basically like uh there is no there is no honor in a men's bathroom <laughs> What? There, there is no honor between men in a bathroom or something like that. But it was basically just this idea of like, no, all, all's fair when you're here. And like, there's no honor here. The Red Spectacles is bizarre. If you want to see a strange uh, Japanese movie, uh, it's very entertaining. Uh, it has some very obvious symbolism that is fun. Fun, maybe not the right word, but it is. It's an interesting film. Hmm. So yeah, Red Spectacles, very odd film. Uh, Momoru Oshii is uh, mad genius, might be a fair way of describing it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, he also, I've, I've ranted about it before, but he was also one of the key minds behind Pat Labor, which is incredible. But, uh, let's see. So, yeah, um, that's, I think, our long and short opinions on the Xbox 360 era as a whole, basically. Yep. Uh, but I follow up with, what is your all-time favorite character in RPGs? That is that's difficult. A, that's a question. That's like a question and a half. Yeah. I'm just going to have to, like, name ones that I really like, uh, just in general, because I'm not going to be able to eliminate it down to just one. I'd probably actually, probably sooner, like, the the ones I care about tend to be the ones that have a strong cast in general, whether that be, like, each of the characters is interesting, or whether that be that the, the uh, dynamic between them is interesting. So, like... 
I think it's probably clear at this point. I'm a huge fan of the FF7 cast as a whole. Uh, I wasn't until the remake, and now I am. <laughs> One day you'll be like me. Um, but yeah, uh, I can't wait to see what they do to Yuffie. Oh man, there's a character in there that seems like a blueprint for what they'll be doing to you for Yuffie. So sweet. She turns out to be from uh, Final Fantasy Seven. Uh, Turk side story um, The Kids Are Alright which was a novel written by Kazushige Nojima back in like 2011 but yeah there's actually another character there's actually another character in that that I didn't realize was also from The Kids Are Alright but it kind of made sense after I realized it it's uh, the doorman uh, the like guy who kind of minds the door at Don Corneo's. Yeah. Yeah. He's very conspicuously a new character, and I was like, where did you come from? Why is there so much of you? And it's like, oh, you're from... The kids are alright. You're... Nojima specifically likes you, so you get an expanded role. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh... So, yeah. Uh, the FF7 cast... Persona 4 and 5's casts are both like all-time greats. Uh, in those games in particular, like if I were to narrow down each of them to characters I like best, I can't really do that, but I can like definitely pick out like creams of the crop, I suppose. <laughs> uh, let's see. I remember me and some other people occasionally would the heck is this what the heck is going on in the stream now I'm trying to work this out hmm. but yeah uh... oh okay that explains it it's the witcher but, yeah, cool. you should probably list some of your favorite casts, casts or characters. So. Uh, I mean, Persona Four, not so much Persona Three. I do say that uh, the Tower Arcana in Persona Three is one of my favorite uh, S links in any of them. Not sure if you remember which one that is, but yeah. that is the uh, the old monk Arcana. Uh. It's just like this bitter old Buddhist monk who's just sort of talking about uh, where he thinks he fucked up in life. (laughs) Mutatsu uh, Mutatsu was a good ass link. Uh, Let's see. In Persona 4, I think my favorite Persona 4 character is probably Naoto. Uh, You know, there's a lot of ones that I like a lot. Um, let's see Persona 5 uh, there's, there's too many I just played it recently and I like all of them keep talking for a second I'll be right back I will never keep talking hello listeners uh, I hope you're doing well it's been a been a crazy few months uh yeah, I need to really late a bit. Uh, 
Wild Arms too before I get too sucked into Xenoblade, but I mean that's kind of hard. It's a lot of a lot of game there. Um, well, a lot of game there for both. It's been nice to replay Wild Arms too. There's always stuff that I forget is in there because it's a very oddly <laughs> paced and structured game at points. But I think one of my favorite things, something that I've really never seen another game do, I'm not even sure why this game does it, is the amount of side characters that it just lets you name them. Like, almost every significant character in Wild Arms 2, for some reason, the first time you run into them, the game will pop up a naming screen and you can rename them. It's just like, why? Why am I allowed to rename the, like freaking mission control characters that you keep that help you keep track of what you're supposed to be doing in the game. Why can I rename this dog who will appear in two scenes? Why can I rename all of these people? It's uh I don't know what they were going for. It's but it's charming. It's kind of fun. It does kind of spoil which ones are actually going to be <laughs> playable characters though because every time you get you'll get like a million naming screens that you know don't really mean anything but then like the ones that do mean something are always like well this character is a party member because they have a portrait of course you can (laughs) of course you kind of give the game away about the significance of the character when like that happens is wheels back yet I can't tell doesn't sound like it um to branch back to a uh, discussion we were having earlier about good enough, enough good Muppets games. There's a good PS1 Muppets game. Uh, it's just a knockoff Spyro. It's called like Muppet Monster Mash. And pretty good. Yeah, solid 7 out of 10. Worth looking for. Oh, are you back? Yes. So, sorry, I just realized that I may not have synced my Witcher 3 save correctly from the Switch version. Bad explanation. Because it gives you the option to, like, sync, I think, to Vanilla Witcher 3 or, uh, like, the, what what the heck is it called? Complete Edition or whatever. You would really not want to sync to Vanilla, though, because that would, like, make your saves incompatible because you wouldn't have DLC. Yeah, that's, that's, I just upgraded to Enhanced Edition on PC. Mm-hmm. So I think I when I originally synced it, it was only for Vanilla. Uh, rip. So, so I had to go grab my cart. Anyway, it's been quite a while rambling. <laughs> uh, favorite RPG characters. I don't think I could ever pick one. So think of some of the best I could think of. Um, yeah. Let me think. Uh, I really enjoy the character in Dragon Quest VII that everybody hates, that being Maribel. Oh, yeah. She's irritable all the time. (laughs) Yeah, I I just like her. I think she's... I think that she's like the opposite of what you'd normally get for that kind of character. I mean, it's also useful just because, like, that party is uh, inert without someone to be stirring things up. Yeah. But I think, especially in the the upgraded translation and 3DS version, I think her dialogue's really entertaining and it's kind of fun. Obviously, yeah. I haven't beaten that game, so maybe she gets worse. But I think the thing everything that, I've played, I've enjoyed. 
I think the thing that irritated people the most is just that I think the game actually takes her out of the party for a while. Yeah. Which is a problem if you've specialized certain jobs onto her that other characters can't fulfill. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, otherwise, yeah, Maribel's cool. Uh, that does remind me, Yangus. Yangus is great. Yes, Yangus is fantastic. Gov! Um, but I really like the 8 cast in general. Everyone in 11 so far seems awesome. Oh, the 11 cast is great. So 11 also has one of the best uh, but thou musts in the entire uh, franchise. Nice. One of the... I'm not sure if you've gotten this far. How many of the characters do you have? Uh, I just got to the point where you meet Silvando. Okay, so Vondo's great, but you're super early in the game, so I can't go too far into this, but there's a character later in the game where, like, they ask you a question that you have to say yes to. If you say no, like, they suddenly, uh, like, you can see that they're suddenly about to kick you in the face, (laughs) and uh, then say, like, oh, it looks like I was stretching my leg right next to your head. Do you care to answer that question again? Well, that's, so that's pretty great. That's a good scene. That's a good character. That's a good set of characters. That's also a game with just a lot of stuff in it. It's just like... Uh, I think I ranted about this when I was playing it, but just like a lot of subplots that end with like, oh, that's, that's melancholy. <laughs> but that's Dragon Quest for you. That's, I think, part of what gives it its enduring charm. But yeah, Maribel's good. Uh, you got any others you want to bring to the table? Um, let me think what else. Um, uh, the cast of Final Fantasy XII that's not uh, the two younger characters. Vaughn and Pinello? Yeah. I don't hate them. I, like, I, I don't hate Pinello. Vaughn wow. just kind of annoys me. Wow. I have just like... I can never get attached to the FF12 cast outside of Balthier, who's, like, larger than life enough to grab me. But for some reason, I can just never get attached to the rest of them. I don't know why. Uh, I like a lot of the FF13 cast, even though they're kind of trapped in a story that's not very good. True. Uh, their, their cast dynamic kind of drags you through it. The characters in the Atelier Dusk series so far are great. Tried good things. Oh, I should see if that's on sale. There's a big eShop sale going on. Uh, i got to see what, what's on there. No, I shouldn't. No. <laughs> bet. Okay, I'm going to look anyway. I finally grabbed Switch RE4 because it was finally... It was knocked down to $15. I was like, I'll, uh, play, I'll pay that for that. portable RE4 that's good. Is RE6 <laughs> cheap, too? Uh, all three of the 4, 5, and 6 set are right. $15 right so now. I do... I want to play through that at some point. We can finally play through it together. Yes. I would have to buy it again. I'll think about that. Um, but yeah. I'll see if the Dusk games are on sale. Cause i got to play Adelier eventually. You're not streaming anything, by the way. Yeah, I know. Well, in a second. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Like audio streaming, I should say, but there's no game. Uh, but yeah. Um, 
Uh, as for any other characters I can think of. The Witcher. Geralt's a very compelling protagonist. Um, let's see. Yes, and I must say that uh, Geralt in the show is very much, I would say, a great representation of the game, character from the game. Oh yeah, no. They they get the writing right in Kville. That's a great job. Yeah. And he's a fan of the game, so I I always feel bad for Kville because like he was a very good Superman saddled with not very good scripts for being <laughs> Superman. Oh god. And I haven't even seen Justice League. Jeff Harry is god awful. I've heard that like there are there are bits of good film in there, but what's going to come out of them recutting it is probably not going to actually <laughs> emphasize those. Man, I watched that whole long version of Batman vs. Superman, and that movie Why? Was, I, I, just curiosity, I guess. And it was not good. Morbid curiosity. Yeah. And uh, Man of Steel, I will say, a lot of that movie is... I think Man, Man of Steel is underrated. Yes. It's not terrible. A lot of it's very good. There's some really stupid parts, like where he kills General Zod is really effing stupid. Um, but but that aside, it's otherwise I enjoyed a lot of it. Except the the one weird the one thing that really weirded me out is there's like at at the end there's just like lots of random footage of buildings being destroyed. Like it seems to obsess over buildings being destroyed for way too long. There is a never-ending cavalcade of buildings being destroyed in that movie. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Um, it's like, yes, we get it. Stuff's stuff's blowing up. Can you move on, please? Game over. But yeah, uh, Geralt's a good one. Uh, I guess I'll sort of go down the... The cast of Mass Effect? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, specifically in Mass Effect 1, uh, Rex, in Mass Effect 2 and 3, like, Garrison Tally. And uh, Morden mm. are the highlights of those ones. Uh, <laughs> Dragon Age One, Morgan and Alistair. Uh, Dragon Age Two. That's an interesting one because there's a lot of. I think that that cast is very strong, but I also don't particularly single out one as like this is a favorite character of mine. I think it's just a interesting dynamic paired with an interesting story. Uh, okay. Let's see. Uh, and Dragon Age... Oh, oh, wait. No, I know who's the most important in Dragon Age 2. Beric. Um, sorry, I had to. But uh, And Dragon Age Inquisition, I could never finish. It's uh, boring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could not get into it either. It's just everything takes forever. It just doubles down on everything I don't like about Origins. But let's see. Uh, KOTOR. Who is the MVP of KOTOR? Uh, the homicidal robot from 2. There was a period... The homicidal robots from 1, unless you're thinking of the gangster robot from 2. Uh, yeah, no, I'm thinking of the one from 1, I think. Like, the homicidal robot is in 2, but... Like, the thing is that when I replayed KOTOR, all I could think was, like, oh, you're just kind of bender, but not as funny. <laughs> so, 
Um, uh, does a red skull over something in Witcher Three may mean I should? It be means running? it's. It means it's gonna just wreck you. So I should be running for my life. Okay. Yeah, I believe so. Just making. <laughs> just making sure I read that correctly. Which version was he playing? PC. Uh Because -huh. it's got the. So you can move your save between this and the Switch version now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, that's so nice. Just waiting. Just wondering if uh, they try pulling that with the Outer Worlds. That would be swell. I could see that being patched in in a few months or something. But. What's I going to say? They did that with uh, Civilization VI as well, and Divin Divinity Original. Divinity 2. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that game's really good. That port's very good as well. Yeah, I need to dig into that game. Along yeah. with lots of other games. There's so many. Yeah, but we gotta... That's right, we, we need to do multiplayer of that. We need to make it clear that we cannot coexist. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, that, um, that's a game that's probably got like story decisions and stuff too, right? Yep. Yes, it does. <laughs> That's... It's it's like it's like it's like a Baldur's Gate style game. Oh man, I, I can't wait to do multiplayer. That that's gonna be an experience. <laughs> yeah, you can have competing like competing uh, conversations going on. Nice. So we need to prove that we cannot coexist. <laughs> but, yeah. So. Yeah, those are those are some casts that I think a lot about. Again, I, I oh, wish I could name someone the, specific from Persona the, 5. The cast of Resonance of Fate. Oh yeah, they're fun. Love. Yeah. Oh, we have a Raisins. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're they're fun. They're well. Uh, they're well uh, integrated. I I don't know quite the word. They they bounce off each other well. They complement each other well. Yes. They don't actually complement each other in the uh, sense of being nice to each other, yes. but they do complement each other well. And one of those instances where everyone seems to agree that the English voice acting is the best. They got Nolan North. Yeah. Oh man, I've been playing Saints Row 4 again, and of course chose Nolan North as the voice, which is great because there's the occasional reference to the idea that it's just Nolan North himself <laughs> that's the protagonist. So you'll you'll do something and you'll show that's how Nolan rolls. I picked the female lead. That's is, that's Laura Bailey, right? Isn't it? Uh, there's options? three voices. One of them's Laura Bailey. Yeah, it, yeah, that's the one. Definitely the one I picked. Then. But yeah, the uh, the Nolan North voice is fun, uh, and uh, I always like the like. The the voice that you get, uh, the way that it's gendered determines certain conversation things, and one of my favorites is there's an early bit where, like, uh, your character is trying to, like, sort of, uh, sort of, I guess, bond with one of the few people that has escaped the simulation at this point, the one that broke you out. And the game starts playing opposites attract off off the radio. <laughs> and uh, if you're playing as uh, if you're if you have a male voice, then 
the game will like one of the four coded male voices you, the game will give you a uh will have your character say uh, offer to let uh, the person you're talking to do mc scat cats lines and if you're if you have a female coded voice the game will have your character <laughs> offer to let the uh, person they're talking to uh do paula's lines <laughs> like what <laughs> I'll even let you be scat cat and then the <laughs> response is just no and then your character just responds with see see this is why no one likes you oh, that game is very good if you just want to play uh, if, basically if you just want a good crackdown game yeah I really hope they lean hard into that for the inevitable next game I don't know how what Agents of Mayhem did. It's technically a Saints Row game, kind of, but they they had some issues. Uh, I tried it. That. It's kind of bad. I've heard it's kind of bad, but I don't know how much it leans into just letting you do super shit. <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, it does. Yes, it's just not. It's not good. It's, it's just not, not good. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I, I would just hope that uh, they don't blame that on letting you do super shit. <laughs> I don't think so, and I think hopefully they'll look at like the sales of three and four, which are obviously the loony tuniest of the series. For and... me, like the way that I always looked at it was that like three is weird, but it's not. The mechanics don't complement its weirdness enough for me. Whereas four, it's like, oh no, the game went full crazy, so I can gel with it. Whereas for three, it's like it didn't go full crazy enough for me. <laughs> Yeah, they apparently just remastered the third one in like to like a degree that I would not have even imagined <laughs> them doing. Uh, THQ Masters of Necromancy. Yeah, Tell I don't. You, man. I don't know. Like, I can only assume that they were just building the engine for the next one, and then just rebuilt three within it. That's all I can imagine. Maybe I don't even know if like um, Volition is actually working on. The remaster. Uh, who did do the Saints Row the Third remaster? That was. Let me see. Let me ask good old Uncle Internet. Uh, Saints Row the Third remaster. Deep Silver. Blah 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 blah. Do you know the factions in The Witcher? Uh, not well, but what do you need? Who are these red people? These red-shirted people? Uh, they're just basically the Empire. <laughs> Who's the, the one with, like, the sun sigil? I don't know, man. Help Praise me out here. <laughs> I'm not here to... Like, trust me, I don't... Like, the, these, these soldiers here are just, like, trying to keep you out of this place. That's all you need to know. But I gotta go to this place. To go to this place, you're going to have to find a way to either forge some papers to get in or do something else. Halt, no passage. Uh, yeah. Uh, trying to work out who actually made Saints Row the Third Remastered. Unless someone's got a pass. I've got a pass. <laughs> okay, then it turns out you're fine. <sighs> Missing a seal, the red one? What? Oh, they spotted your counterfeit. Oh, Jesus. Oh, 
Oh, no, they let me through. <laughs> I don't remember where I got this pass from, but whatever. There are a few different quests that can grant you a pass depending upon how you resolve them. Must be this uh, TJF quest I'm on. <laughs> see. FYI, the, the quest name is Family Matters. <laughs> that was a terrible joke. Yeah, no. no I, I got it. I didn't want to talk about it, but I got it. Yeah, it is hard to find out who did this. Uh, Switchport was developed by Fish Labs. Remastered version was developed by Sparasoft. Okay. That sounds it was fake. Like okay, and that was Deep Silver. I don't know if they and THQ Nordic are related in any fashion. Deep Silver and THQ Nordic. Yeah. Are the same company now. They are what? Yes. You no. Yes, the parent company of THQ Nordic bought Deep Silver. <laughs> Who is paying for this? Where does their money come from? But they seem to have tons of connections with developers in like Central Europe, which explains why they like the a lot of these remasters are being developed by companies that's like I'd look them up and it's like I've never heard of this company, and then it turns out that they're like some country from there's some company from like. Uh, Germany or Austria or someplace like that. And yeah. it's like, well, I suppose it makes sense they would have contacts there. Well, just the weirdest thing is that now, like, you know, Volition and all their properties are now technically under the same roof again. Yeah, and, they like, reincarnated as this. And Darksiders, and I, I don't know if they, I don't think, I don't know if they actually own Gunfire Games. I don't think they do. But they sure are the only contractor for them. Yeah. Well, uh, there was that other game they made. It's supposed to be a really good Dark um, Dark Souls E game. Why is the name escaping me? Oh, I'm going to look this up now. Uh, let me look it up on my phone. Gunfire Games? What is the name of that game you made? Remnant from the Ashes. Oh, I remember that one. I forget that. Who on earth published this thing? What the... Just looking at this, like... Perfect Polygon. World Entertainment? Who the hell... Uh, don't tell me this is also a subsidiary. Probably. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Oh, is a Chinese-owned publisher. There's your other option. Uh, I, so I'm looking up the... Polygon has a helpful refresher on the way that uh, Saints Row was sold off and then purchased back after uh, purchased by the new THQ separate from all the other THQ assets that they bought. Oh, I'm wrong. THQ Nordic does own Gunfire Games. I'm not surprised. Uh, so THQ files for bankruptcy in December 2012, and there's a bankruptcy auction, and multiple companies buy various parts of it. Uh, Coke Media, which owned the Deep Silver publishing label, purchased Saints Row, developer Volition, and the Metro property at auction. Crytek offered to buy uh, Homefront and then later sold it to Coke Media. (laughs) 
Nordic bought like all the stuff that was cheap. They bought Dark Siders, Red Faction, MX versus ATV, all that stuff. Uh, Nordic then buys the THQ trademark and changes his name to THQ Nordic. And then THQ Nordic buys Coke Media's games, publishing, and film business. Which means that they essentially bought everything else from THQ that they hadn't bought before. So what you're telling me is that THQ Nordic owns everything the original THQ did? As far as I can tell, yeah. <laughs> but they didn't they weren't able to acquire it all at once. It's like there was some mad obsession to get all of it. I don't understand. I'm reminded of like the All I can think of right now is the Aquatine opening where uh where Dr. Weird is like has beheaded Space Ghost and is pulling the face of Space Ghost across his own face. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a joke for no one. <laughs> it's, it's just fascinating to me because it's like I, I, I respect the stuff that THQ, nor, THQ was putting back. Putting, oh, I can't talk apparently. It was putting out back in the day but they went bankrupt. <laughs> So why would you want to basically become them again? <laughs> but they they essentially have, and they're making money. I don't know how. I don't I, like. I what is going on? <laughs> like, there's a lot of those properties that I that seem pretty neat. But it's like it's neat that they keep bringing them out. But like, I don't know. I don't know how they're making money off of them, but. As oh, far yeah, I as for... I can tell, they are, and like they were pleased with the sales of Darksiders Three. So, time to find out how they feel about the sales of Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy. I bought that. I like that. I like that. <laughs> no, game. apparently it's a good game. I yeah. just think it's funny that like they gave it a proper like re-release. No, no I'm like just like I, bought, I, I have no idea why you release this, but yes, I will purchase. <laughs> By all accounts, it's very good. Yeah, no, it's a good game. I played it back in the day and. I remember playing a demo, and the demo was pretty cool. I liked the mummy. (laughs) I was also like, I don't think anyone's ever going to buy this thing (laughs) as well. Uh, I remember uh, seeing previews for it before they changed its name. Yeah. Uh, Those not uh, on the up-and-up about obscure Eurocom-developed... Zelda-style games, uh, Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy was actually announced and previewed as Sphinx in the Shadow of Set. <laughs> Which, uh... Yep, that's that's information no one needed. Um, let's get to another question. Before we sure. just, like, just c- get confused by THQ Nordic again. Uh, <laughs> if you could have the... Uh, do you have any interest in Ghosts of Tsushima or not? Oh, I'm all about that. Yeah. I I have I have never played a Sucker Punch game that I didn't love. Yeah. The only and problem is it's coming out the same day as Paper Mario, so I probably Yeah, won't that play was harsh. That was, that was a rude thing to do to me. Um They're also coming out a week after Deadly Promotion Two, Blessing in Disguise, which is also a rude thing to do to me. I should probably but play the first Deadly Premonition. The Switch version has apparently been patched to be good this time. <laughs> it was bad? It was it was a pro it had problems when it was first released because there was just like glitches in it that were new to that version, <laughs> <laughs> but they've been fixed now. 
and it also removes some of the things from the director's cut that I think actually made the story worse. So I, I think it's a good version now. Okay. But yeah, uh, and the new one will have skateboards. So. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm huge on Ghost of Tsushima because again, uh, I've never played a game by Sucker Punch that I didn't love. Uh, I don't think any human being has played Rocket Robot on Wheels for the Nintendo 64, but it's actually really good. Uh, there is, the, I mean, all three Sly games that they made are great. Uh, both, uh, I should say, all three Infamous games are great. Uh, Infamous one, I will always remember as the game, the first game I played for a for the PS3 that I did not feel intense, like, long. It was like the first thing where I was like, ah, I have played this PS3 exclusive game and I am not left with an intense feeling of disappointment in some fashion. <laughs> it's a very good game. Yeah, so and Infamous 2 is a very good game as well. The controls really used every freaking button on that control. Oh, yeah, that is absolutely a hand pretzel game. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh... Big fan of Infamous 2 as well, even though I think that it kind of rushes an ending. Uh, I do think that it has a lot of strong sequences, a lot of good writing, and Infamous Second Son is great. And I never got to play all of Infamous First Light, and that's a bit of a shame actually now that I think about it. But yeah, and, you know, Ghost of Tsushima looks really good. Uh, I will absolutely purchase that video game. Same. Uh-huh. Next, Budai asks, if you could have the complete library for any system for free, which would you choose? Probably the PS2. Complete library. Yep. I think I'd just take the Switch, man. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. That's that's a I revisit this question when the Switch is on the out. Yeah. And we'll. And I'll, I might ha- may have a different answer, but like the PS2 is the system for which it has the most. Like, what is this garbage, and why am I playing it now? Yeah, if we if we took the Switch out of equation, take took that out of the equation, I'd probably just say 3DS. <laughs> well, well, sh- shit. 3DS, maybe if I could also have the DS library. Yeah. If you can put those two together, then I mean, that would probably be my second choice as well. If not, like, this is this would also be, it's not like we're making this exclusively one, we can only have one of these. This is just like, if you could yeah. just have something for free, which is part of why I would pick one that has tons of things in it that I would love to play, but would not necessarily love to purchase. <laughs> See, also, like, my second choice might be the Sega Saturn, which Mm. is just full of things that would be interesting to play that I would not necessarily uh, spend money on. (laughs) But hey, someone wants to play KU Gekutai. You a Chaos Flying Squadron fan? How do you feel about Burning Rangers? It's not good. Oh, man. Sorry. Hot take. Bad game. Hot take about a game about fires. 
Nuclear take. Um, <laughs> how do you feel about Clockwork Knight 2? Uh, I hated it. <laughs> That's why I can't believe you played 2. Yeah. Bought it, tried it, sold it. Terrible. <laughs> uh, any port in the Saturn Storm? Let's see. But hey, you could play Ray Earth. That's a good game. You play Panther Dragon. Play that really bad version of Symphony of the Night. Ugh. Uh, I always I, I forgot how many of these uh, how many Saturn games are technically probably porn. <laughs> but hey, there's these really good Taito ports. It's some Puli Rula. I think there's a Taito. Uh, I think it's a Saturn port of Liquid Kids. Liquid Kids is good. Oh man, I forgot about this. Remember the PS1 and Saturn? You might not have seen this. There was a PS1 and Saturn Ghosts and Goblins licensed incredible machine game. What? 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 Okay. Astro, it's like Astaroth and uh, Ast- Arthur and Astaroth's uh, uh, mystery demon world village, Incredible Tunes, and it's just the, it's a licensed Incredible Machines game, Incredible Machine game. So, yeah, recommended. Um, let's see. No, I'm just looking at Saturn games. Remember the 10-player Bomberman game? Vaguely. Saturn Bomberman. I don't think anyone ever connected the, like, three multi-taps that would be required to do a 10-player <laughs> game, but you could. Uh, Bomberman Wars. Sorry, I'm just looking at... Oh, Bubble Symphony. Oh, hey, Bug 2. You love Bug. Bug, bug 2, Electric Bugaloo. No. <laughs> For you see, the 2 is, is uh, like Bug as well. Bug in addition. Let's see. Hey, you can play Nights in the Dreams. You can play game. Congo the movie, The Lost City of the Zinge. You probably not play that. It's a weird FPS. Um... That list of Saturn games is like just really good Japanese game you've never heard of, followed by like American game that's just complete garbage. Like, here's this really good Darius game, and like three games away, here's frickin' Crypt Killer. <laughs> Daytona USA Champion Circuit Edition, Netlink Edition. Daytona. Oh, Decathlete. Oh, Deep Fear. That game is what happens when you put the producer Fantasy Star on a Resident Evil knockoff. <laughs> and then you set it in a submarine. Oh, man. Sorry, I'm just I'm just staring at it. Oh, oh Dynamite! Dynamite Decca! Dynamite Decca! What the hell is that? 
Die Hard Arcade. Oh, oh, oh yes! Yes! That game's incredible. Yes! Die Hard Arcade is like my favorite 3D beat-em-up ever. It's the best. It's so good. Have you ever played Dynamite Deca 2? Uh, yes, at PAX. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause it was, it's called Dynamite Cop yeah. in America. But Dynamite, Dynamite Cop's incredible. That is a game where, like... You can find where, like, you're just punching dudes on a boat, and then somewhere you will find, like, a nuke, and you can just throw it at them. And the game considers that an acceptable course of action that doesn't kill you. It might not even kill them sometimes. <laughs> Dynamite Cop is a crazy game. Love it. Uh... Oh, man, it's Gwent time. Man, both Dynamite Deck games are incredible. Gwent. Quen, 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 No, no. Oh, yeah. You need to stop. Never. The Gwent is real. Oh, Dragon Force. Dragon Force owns. Yeah, that game kicks ass. Oh, the Dungeons and Dragons collection. That was like, for the longest time, that was the only home port of the two Dungeons and Dragons. Capcom beat them up. Oh, elevator action returns. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm just I'm just losing it over how many like weird Saturn games there are. So that yeah, my answer is Saturn. It's either the Saturn or the PS2. Like the PS2 is full of similarly like what is this? Remember when they made a Devil Dice sequel? I do not. Remember when they made Devil Dice to begin with? I do not. It was uh, originally it was a Yorose game for the PS1, and then they made a sequel for PS2 that was called Bombastic. Yeah, I don't think anyone else remembers this. It's weird. They're weird puzzle games. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, but yeah, so. Yeah, me and Wheels have set our piece on this. Uh, Losing badly at Gwent. As usual. Uh, oh my god! I feel personally attacked. Prove me wrong. Uh, older but evolving question. What is the state of RPGs on mobile phones in 2020? Still too many of them are gotcha-based. Uh, my response to that is vomit. <laughs> we basically had the same response. I just said it slightly more articulately. <laughs> I mean, unless there's a like there's a few exceptions, sure, but yeah, most of it's just that or ports of things you can play elsewhere anyway. Yeah, it's if you got a if you've got a controller out, some of those ports are probably fine, but I don't know. Usually, I don't want to run my phone's battery down doing that. So, I mean, Aspire did a good job porting all those Bioware Xbox games to the phone, so. Play those. They used to port games to Mac. Yeah, they were good. They're still good. They're still a good port house. There's just no point in porting games to Mac anymore. Yeah, they so they do mobile and Switch now. Yeah. Didn't they do the uh, Jedi Knight... Uh, the Jedi Outcast port for Switch? They did. Nice. But... 
which is good because they're intimately familiar with those games. So, yeah, I'm sure they're used to porting them by now. Yeah, I'm wondering who did the Xbox and GameCube port from back in 2002. Not sure. That's how I first played it. Love me some Jedi Academy. I need to pick up that port. Never played a Jedi Academy. I've heard good things. It's good. It's very good. The story isn't great, but you get to make your own Jedi, so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that'll that'll power you through a lot of stuff. Yeah, the multiplayer is fantastic. Oh, I've heard of that. It's like just Jedi battles as fun as you'd expect. And Budai's last question is one we might want to ask Gaijin about. Uh, just given that he would probably know better, but uh, FF7 was widely considered the greatest RPG uh, in the USA for a long time. What was a game in Japan that was held in similar esteem? To my knowledge, like the answers that you're going to get there are FF7, FF10, uh, Dragon Quest V. There's a Famitsu poll from like 10 or so years back that was essentially like, what are Famitsu readers' favorite games? And the things I just listed are, it's like, it's basically the things I just listed, FF7, FF10, uh, Dragon Quest Three, Dragon Quest V. <laughs> Dragon Quest V's shadow is long, as is three, like both within the series and without it. Like, you can, if you sort of chart the way that games functioned at the time, you can find a lot of influence that we either didn't understand at the time or, like, didn't get the games that were being influenced. <laughs> Let's see if I can find this. Famitsu's top 100 favorite games. Uh, Reader's 100 all-time favorite games. Okay, yeah. Let me see. This Wikipedia seems to have listed these. Okay, yeah. This was about 15 years back, so grain of salt for how it would be received now. But for in the uh, top 10, FF10, FF7, Dragon Quest 3, Dragon Quest 8, something called Machi that I've never heard of for the Saturn, uh, FF4, Tactics Ogre, FF3, Dragon Quest 7, uh, Ocarina of Time. Dragon Quest V, then uh, you start going, like, these, these are just, essentially all of these are RPGs, by the way. <laughs> the only one of these I'm not certain is some sort of RPG is Machi. Let me see what this is. Machi, it's a visual novel. <laughs> I'm shocked. Uh, it was made by Chunsoft. But, Oh, yeah. Machi literally means city. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So, you, you go down that. I'm trying to think. I'm going down far enough to try to find the next non-RPG. Next non-RPG is Street Fighter 2. It's at nearly number 20. Wow. Uh, Dragon Quest V, Hand of the Heavenly Bride, Tegai Makio 2, Manjimaru, Sakura Tyson, Dragon Quest IV, Final Fantasy V, Xenogears, Dragon Quest 2, Soccer Tyson 3, Kingdom Hearts, and then finally Street Fighter 2 and Super Mario Brothers break the streak. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think one thing that's fair to say is that FF7 was huge everywhere. Yeah. 
Like we there's there's a certain I think assumption among players uh, in old school Final Fantasy fans in North America that FF7 would be less revelatory in uh, in Japan, but. Uh, and I think that's often a function of when what game got you into the series because I know that I think that that was a commonly held belief among FF6 fans. Mm-hmm. But I will note that FF6 is on this list, is below FF7, 8, and 9. Booers. Also below 5, below 4, and below 3. Boo! <laughs> I'm just saying, like it, it is easy to like just just to put the myth to the idea that FF7 was not a huge thing everywhere. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's see. So yeah, I think that the answer is that the nearest that if you were to bring up FF7 as a touchstone, you actually would be bringing it up in both North America and Japan. Mm. <laughs> as a game that was held in similar esteem. Granted, again, as we've mentioned, there are definitely others, but, again, it's a touchstone both places. Oh, man, Stonecutter Settlement. Who keeps the metric system down? We do. We do. We do. (laughs) Who holds back the electric car? Who makes Steve Gutenberg a star? We don't. No, I'm ruined. I'm completely ruined as a human. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I think the answer in this case, the best answer is uh, FF7. It's a big game. Maybe FF10. I mean, like that that one won. It was more recent at the time, but I mean, that one did was the top in the 2006 reader poll. I'd be very curious to see what a more modern poll looks like, but I can't seem to find one. I feel like one of them might have existed at some point. I feel like uh, the visual novel, uh, the popular visual novel at this point might actually be more likely to be for, uh, 428 Shibuya Scramble. But... Yeah, that's uh, more of a question. That's more of a conjecture than anything. But yeah. So there's your video games. Video. Um, and that is all of our questions for tonight. It looks like Gaijin was not able to make it. Maybe we'll record some sort of additional segment. Depends. Hopefully. But it also sounds like Wheels is about to shut down. You're about to shut down. The whole system's about to shut down. I don't know what I'm even fucking saying. Yeah, maybe maybe careful. Uh, To your witcher. No, no, we can't. Not again. Valley of plenty. Whoa. 
Where the hell am I going? Without Leopathy. Probably the um, wrong way. Yeah, uh, we should we should probably close this out. Uh, again, Budai, thank you for the last minute save on questions. Jesus Christ, how big is this game's world? Gigantic. Absolutely gigantic. Look, uh, is, is everything in here a playable area? Yeah. Yeah, you also have to go off to those islands eventually. Oh, God. Yeah, you got a lot of game. Um, but, yeah, so... Uh, highly recommended that uh, you guys continue to send us questions. We always like them. Uh, we understand that there was uh, maybe not a lot of time this week, but hopefully next week. Uh, again, thank you, Budai, for saving us. Uh, you. you guys didn't want to hear me sort of ramble about Xenoblade uh, undirected the entire time, so instead you got me rambling undirected about being confused about Nordic THQ Nordic. Um, I always enjoy rambling about THQ Nordic, because they're fascinating. Now let's all play Sphinx and the Curse Mummy. Is, um, is Metro any good, by the way? I've heard very good. Should I be Metroing? I've heard it's very good, actually. I've got friends who are very big into it. I keep promising Switch. that I'll pick up the Switch ports, which are yeah. apparently very good. The Switch ports were actually made by the original developer. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah relative rarity. But by all accounts, they're very good. Uh, I will add it to my THQ Nordic to buy list then. <laughs> Gotta buy Metro and SpongeBob on the same day. Yes. Well, it's. I'm just like getting everything because it's like all, all these releases are. At minimum, fascinating. At the very least, they'll be interesting. And a lot of them, like, you know, they're games that I... A lot of them... Part of the advantage is that a lot of the stuff they're re-releasing is PS2-era stuff, and that's something that I'm always up for. But, yeah. So, yeah. Questions in the comment section or on the Discord. Uh, we will always accept both. I might put out another call for questions next week in the Discord if we if it comes to that. Uh, let's see. Uh, otherwise, uh, since Gaijin is not here, I will be the book shill this time. <laughs> I mean that in only the kindest way, but still, uh, you know, I will be the designated like, please purchase book. Um, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor available on Amazon. Uh, author will be Michael Yari Mizun. Uh, I am not as well versed about which ones have just come out since I am not the one writing them. <laughs> there are two collected series you can get, which is volumes one through six as like yeah. physical books. Yeah, and then there's there's some more that are, have yet to be collected, as far as I know. Yeah. So yeah, all those are available. Uh, you know, be nice to to get some traction in there. Maybe leave a review if you do end up reading them. But uh, otherwise, I think that about sums up our plugs. Uh, and I guess we will see you next week, Space Cowboys. See ya. Far I've gone, how high I've climbed On the backs of 60 
milestone. 